Hey, good morning. My name is Steve Polk, Executive Pastor at First Baptist Rock Hill. Thank you for joining us online today. Uh, very excited about the message our pastor is going to bring to you today from Luke chapter 19. We have a king. So you thought most of us live in the United States as you're viewing this. So you go, no, we don't have a king. We live in a free country. We elect officials. We elect the president. All of those things are true. Um, but as a, as a child of God, of a person uh, under the leadership of Jesus Christ, we have a king. And so in Luke chapter 19 today, our pastor is going to help us unpack that and better understand what it is to live under the authority of Jesus as our Lord and King. So I want you to grab your copy of God's Word, a notepad and a pen, and uh, we're going to pray together as our pastor prepares to come and uh, share this Word with us. God, we thank you for your Word that we can learn from it, we can grow from it, we can interact with you through it, and you change us. Today we're going to be looking at what it is to be under your authority. You as Lord of our lives, you as the King to the kingdom uh, that heavenly kingdom that we want to be a part of and that through our relationship with you we get to be a part of so thank you for uh for that kingdom thank you for for giving us the understanding uh, of what it is to participate in your kingdom and how to do that effectively as a believer in jesus name amen Jesus Christ was put on trial before Pilate the Roman governor of Judea he was the one that uh ordered Jesus' execution and crucifixion. And during the trial, Pilate asked Jesus if he was a king. And Jesus said, yes, what you have said is correct. I am a king. Jesus made it clear on more than one occasion he was a king. In fact, the Old and New Testaments declare that Jesus is a king and has a, a kingdom. And the, the problem for many of us here in America is we simply do not like Kings, and there are several reasons for that. One is our history, as you know. We we rebelled against England and King George the Third, the American Revolution, and all of that. We we don't want a king. And I remember uh, on my trips to England on two different occasions, I visited Windsor Castle, and on the grounds of Windsor Castle is St. George's Chapel where the royal family worships and and uh, many of the kings and their family members are are buried. And when you walk through that chapel, you can see the place that many of them, you know, their final resting place. Queen Elizabeth's husband, uh, Prince Philip, who died last year, is buried in that chapel. And she will, when she dies, be buried uh, there with him. I've been there, as I said, a, a couple of times. And and I can remember on one of those trips wanting to find the place where George III, King George III, during the American Revolution, uh, was buried. And I would kind of sarcastically and jokingly say I'd like to be able to stand on his grave and take a picture. And, you know, that's just that nutty American attitude we sometimes have. But you can't, you can't see his resting place. It's not visible because he is buried in the royal vault, which is a, a chamber, if you will, beneath the floor of that chapel. We as Americans just have, you know, built into our DNA because of, of our history. We don't like kings. We cherish freedom. That's another reason uh, we struggle with the idea of having a king to whom we submit. We, we are big believers in individual freedom, individual rights. And, and more recently in today's culture, there's a, there's a growing focus on the inner self, what a person feels on the inside, what a person thinks on the inside, their emotions. 
And in our modern culture, for many people, that is the ultimate authority that trumps any outer authority, that trumps the word of God, that trumps any human law. If I feel it, it even trumps nature and, 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 and my body and so on. And so there's just something, something in our modern culture that resists the idea of God. And God being king and his word being authoritative and his moral standards ruling our lives. And the truth is some who who are believers, some who think of themselves as followers of Christ, as disciples of Jesus on some level, struggle with the idea that Jesus is king of their life, that he is Lord of their life, that he is master of their life. And perhaps you struggle with that as well. There was a recent survey of Americans, and, and they were given a list of 13 descriptions or aspects or titles for Jesus, and they were to choose three of those 13 that were most meaningful to them. What was surprising is that even among conservative evangelical followers of Jesus, Lord was not in the top three of the most meaningful titles for Jesus. And yet the Bible makes it clear, and Jesus himself made it clear, that he is our king. That's the title of today's message, We Have a King. Even if we don't like it, he is king. And Jesus told a parable about it in the Gospel of Luke. And I ask you to open your Bible right now to the 19th chapter of Luke. I want us to look at the parable, the story that makes a point, which Jesus told to help us understand what it means when we say Jesus is our king and we are his subjects, we are his servants. We begin reading together in chapter 19 of Luke at verse 11. Let's read the first few verses and then talk about it just a little bit. He says in verse 11, while they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell a parable. So he tells a story to make a point because he was near Jerusalem. Here's the reasons he did it. He was close to Jerusalem. He's going there for what will become really his last week before the crucifixion and resurrection. And they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear Immediately. So these are the reasons he's telling this parable. And in verse 12, he said, There's a nobleman who went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return, come back. And, and he called 10 of his slaves or 10 of his servants and he gave them 10 minas. Uh, an amount of money. Your Bible may translate it pounds. So each of them, each of the 10 received one mina, one uh, pound. And he said to them in verse 13, Do business with this. Until I come back, manage this for me, do business with it until I return. And then in verse 14, the, the, it says, but, but his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. So the place he was going to receive the kingdom, they, they sent a group there saying, we don't want this man to be our king. Now, this story may not make a lot of sense to you and me in 2022 here in America, but this parable made a lot of sense to the people that heard Jesus tell it 2,000 years ago because uh, for more than three decades leading up to the birth of Jesus, the king in Judea was King Herod the Great. He was king when Jesus was born and is the one that ordered the execution of the baby boys in Bethlehem. And we know that Herod traveled from Judea 
to the city of Rome, the capital of the Roman Empire, and the Roman Senate appointed him king of Judea, and his coronation as king took place in Rome, and then he returned to Judea with a Roman army, and as I mentioned, he's the one that ordered the execution of the baby boys when Jesus was born there in Bethlehem. He he did some good things, but he was known as a vicious and cruel king who would kill someone without even blinking an eye. He was a ruthless leader, and the people did not like him. When he died, when Jesus was a, was a young child, a preschool child, his, his sons succeeded him. And two of those sons that divided his kingdom were appointed kings by the Romans. They were coronated in Rome. And actually the Jews, for one of those sons, sent a delegation to Rome saying, we don't want this son of Herod to be our king. So it's against that backdrop that Jesus tells this parable. And, and everybody would understand what he means when he says a man goes to a distant country to receive a kingdom. And he has servants and he has slaves. Jesus is taking this, this experience from everyday life and he tells a parable, uses it to, to tell a parable, a story, to illustrate his kingdom, his kingship, and us as his subjects. Now the context is verse, verse 11. When, when he says he's getting close to Jerusalem and the, the, the people were getting excited because they thought the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. It, it was common in, in their day for people to think that the Messiah would set up an earthly kingdom and that the kingdom of God there in Israel, there in Judea, would, would rule the world. And they were getting excited that Jesus, the Messiah, is going to set up that kind of kingdom. And so he tells this parable from their everyday life to correct their thinking, to help them understand the truth about the kingdom of God, the truth about himself, that he really is King. So the nobleman who goes to a distant country to receive a kingdom is Jesus. And the place that he goes is heaven. Jesus is saying, the, while, while my kingdom is here, it's not a, a physical kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. And I'm going back to the Father. It's not going to happen immediately, the fullness, the completion of my kingdom. But one day I'm coming back, the second coming. I'm, I'm coming back. And those of you who follow me, those of you who claim to be my disciples, who claim to be Christians, you are my servants, you are my slaves in, to whom I entrust men, I entrust pounds, I entrust resources. And the citizens who sent a delegation saying, we don't want him to be our king, are the people around us who say, we don't want Jesus. We don't want Jesus to be our king. We don't want Jesus to be our Lord. We don't want Jesus to be our master. We're not going to submit our lives to Jesus Christ. Now the parable continues after that. I want us to look at the rest of it with that background. And maybe this will make more sense to you. So let's start at verse 15 again. At verse 15. So he returns. This nobleman returns and he's been commissioned as the king. Now Jesus is coming back from heaven. The second coming of Jesus. And when he returned after receiving the kingdom, the, the kingdom of God is complete and Jesus is coming back. He ordered that these slaves, these servants to whom he had given the money, 
be called to him so that he might know what business they had done. Remember when he gave them the money, the minas, the pounds, it was, they were told, do business with this on my behalf. Now, he wants to know, what did you do with what I gave you? Verse 16, the first servant, the first slave appeared saying, Master, your mina has made 10 minas more. You gave me one and I worked and here's 10 more. I was productive. And then the master said to him, well done, good slave or good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little thing, just the one. You are to be in authority over 10 cities. I mean, if it was an earthly king, he could uh, say, you rule this part of my kingdom for me. It's talking about for us rewards in heaven. And then he goes on to say in verse 18, the second came saying, your mina master has made five minas. In other words, you gave me one and now I've, I've worked hard and well and, and here's five. I was productive. And, and the master said to him in verse 19, you are to be over five cities. So he was rewarded as well. And then another slave, another servant who had been given one minute came and he said, master, here is your mina, which I kept put away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are an exacting man. You take up what you did not lay down and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, by your, this is the master talking to this one servant, by your own words, I will judge you, you worthless or some Bible say wicked slave. Did you know that I am an exacting man taking up what I did not lay down and reaping what I did not sow? Then why did you not put my money in the bank? And having come, I would have collected it with interest. He said, you could have at least done that, but you didn't do anything. And then he said to the bystanders, take the minna away from him and give it to the one who has the 10 minas. And they said to him, master, he has 10 minas already. I mean, why do we want to give him more? And the master said in verse 26, I tell you that to everyone who has more shall be given, but from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. And then in verse 27, but to these enemies of mine who did not want me to, to reign over them, those who said, we don't want him to be our king, bring them here and slay them in my presence. Now, to make this parable simple, what Jesus is teaching is that his kingdom is not going to be completed on earth prior to his crucifixion. After his crucifixion and resurrection, he's going back to the Father. He's going to heaven, that distant country. And in time, his kingdom will be completed. And the coronation of Jesus as king before the universe, before all creation, before all humanity will occur at the second coming of Jesus Christ and the judgment day. Everyone will know on that day he is king and he will judge everyone on that day. But until then, right now, as we wait for that day, as we wait for, the, for Jesus to return from that distant country, from heaven, as we wait for him to return, we are to work for him. We are to serve him. We are, as the master told these slaves when he gave them those minas, those pounds, that money, we are to do his business, Jesus' business, Jesus' work, 
Jesus' ministry. We are to contribute to his kingdom. We are to build his kingdom. And one of the things this parable teaches is that each and every one of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ have capacity to make a difference. We have capacity to contribute to the kingdom of God. We have capacity to serve him and work for him. We have our life. We have our years, our time. We have our money and resources. We have our skills, talents, and abilities. We have capacity to make a difference for Jesus Christ. Now, we, we may have different capacities, different levels of capacity. One here took one minute and turned it into 10. Another took one minute and turned it into five. We have different abilities and different resources and different capacities. But the truth is we all have capacity to make a difference for Jesus. You have capacity to make a difference in this world for the kingdom of God. And, and uh, there is no excuse, no excuse for someone who says, I'm a follower of Jesus, not making a difference for the kingdom of God. You have the ability, the capacity to contribute and to make a difference. And when Jesus comes back, just like in this parable, when the, the king came back after he received his kingdom, he called his servants, his slaves before him, and they were evaluated. They were judged. He wanted to know, what have you done while I've been gone with the minna I gave you? And when Jesus comes back, there's the judgment seat of Christ when all of us who call ourselves believers and disciples and followers of Jesus will stand before him and he evaluates, he judges us for what we have done during our life as we waited for him to return. He will judge what we did or did not do and we will give an account of it. Did we serve him or not? Did we grow spiritually or not. And I want you to personalize that. Did you, have you, are you growing spiritually or not? Did you, are you, have you served him or not? Are you advancing the kingdom of God, the mission of God, and the purpose of God in this world or not? Are you making a difference for Jesus in other people's lives or not? Are you magnifying his name or not. We're going to give an account for all of that, for what we did with our life and our time and our years, what we did with our energy, what we did with our skills and talents and abilities, what we did with all the opportunities God gave us day after day and year after year to make a difference, what we did with our money and other resources. He's going to call us before him and say, what did you do? Did you take the one minute I gave you and turn it into ten? Did you take the one minute I gave you and turn it into five? Or did you take the one minute I gave you and simply hide it in the handkerchief and do uh, nothing? Jesus is saying to me, he's saying to you, he's saying to each and every one of us who say we are his followers, I want you to understand, I want you to view your life, to see your life here on earth as you wait for me to come back. See your life as a sacred opportunity. 
See it as a sacred trust I have invested in you, and I'm asking you to invest it in my kingdom, to invest it by making a difference in this world and in the lives of other people, especially those who are lost and do not know me. How do you see your life and its purpose? You know, one of the better-known stories is Pinocchio, that wooden puppet who was made by the woodcarver Geppetto. And the movie that came out a little over a decade ago, there's a scene in it when Pinocchio first comes alive and he and his creator Geppetto meet for the very first time. And both of them are struggling to understand what has happened. And Geppetto walks over and takes his hand and he feels Pinocchio's arms and, and his face to see if he's real or if it's a dream. And when he realizes that he's touching Pinocchio, that he's real, tears well up in the old man's eyes. And, and Geppetto says, you're alive. Do you understand that? You're alive. And Pinocchio says, I'm alive. And Geppetto has this, uh, Pinocchio then, the, Pinocchio has this, this puzzled look on his face. And, and, and he says, he asks, what, what do you mean? I'm alive. And Geppetto says, what does it mean? It means you have a life to live. And Pinocchio says, what, what, does, what, what, what do you have a life for? What do you have a life for? And the woodcarver Geppetto is silent. He doesn't know what to say. He doesn't have an answer. And after a moment, he says, I'll have to think about it. You know, there, there are so many people who are happy to be alive. But they don't know why they're alive. Some of you, 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 you like your job. You love your family. You enjoy hobbies and sports. You do stuff. You're busy. You're glad to be alive. But you don't know why you are alive. You don't know why you are here. You don't know what your ultimate purpose in life is. In this parable... Jesus is telling us that our life is a sacred thing, that we are to advance the kingdom of God. We are to make a difference for Jesus Christ. It's as the Apostle Paul said, for me to live is Christ. We live for him. He, he, our king, he, our God, he, our savior, he is our purpose. It is a, a sacred trust. We, we have a life worth living because we can contribute to the advancement of the mission of God in this world, magnifying his name and making a difference in the lives of others. The truth is, each and every one of us, you and me, we are like one of the characters in Jesus' parable. One of these characters describes me. One of these characters in Jesus' story describes you. The only question is, which one? Are you the faithful, energetic servant who took the one minna and turned it into ten? The faithful, energetic servant who took the one minna and turned it into five? Are you the faithful, energetic servant of Jesus Christ and his kingdom who serves who makes a difference, who contributes to the kingdom of God, if you are, you will be rewarded. 
One received 10 cities, another five cities on earth. That makes sense. You'll be rewarded in heaven. God has blessings and rewards we cannot fully appreciate or understand for those who faithfully, energetically serve him and advance his kingdom, contribute to it. Are you that kind of follower of Jesus Christ? Or are you number two? Are you like the lazy, fearful, unfaithful servant who kept his men hidden in the handkerchief and did not invest it, did not do the business of his master, the business of his king, and did not make a difference, did not serve, who wasted opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to contribute, opportunities to, to, to help people, opportunities to share the gospel, opportunities to serve, who hid his abilities and his talents and his skills, his resources. Are you that kind of that kind of person who says you believe in Jesus and follow Jesus? Jesus in this parable says the king will be displeased with that kind of servant. And there will be no rewards for him. What he has will be taken away and given to one that he knows he can trust because he can't trust you. He can't trust you to contribute. He can't trust you to serve. He can't trust you to make a difference. So he's going to give what you have to others that he can trust, who will make a difference, who will be energetic and serve. Which of these are you? Sometimes people will argue and say, well, I know I'm not doing a lot. I'm not serving. I'm not contributing. I'm not making a difference. But, but isn't it enough? that I don't do bad things, that, that, that I'm a follower of Jesus and I don't do bad things, I'm not wicked, I don't sin, I, I abstain from evil, isn't that enough? I, I live a good life, shouldn't that count for something? And yet Jesus said of these servants who do not invest, do not contribute, do not make a difference, don't advance the kingdom of God, he called them worthless or wicked because, brothers and sisters, hear me, it is a sin. It is a sin in the eyes of our king for us not to serve, not to contribute, not to make a difference, not help others, not advance God's kingdom and mission in this world. It is a sin for us to do that. So if you're one who claims to be a follower of Christ, a, a disciple, you claim to be a Christian, which of these Two servants, the one who invested, which type are you? The one who, who did the, the, the master of the king's business and, and, and brought profit to the kingdom? Or the lazy, fearful, unfaithful one who hid the money, who hid the mena, who hides his talents, who, who you may be a good person, but you don't do much to advance the purpose of God in this world. Which of these are you? And which one do you want to be? I urge you with all my heart right now to say to the Lord, I will serve you, Jesus. I will grow spiritually, Jesus. I will advance your kingdom and mission in this world, Jesus. I will be a disciple you can trust, Jesus. I will make a difference, Jesus. I will invest. I will serve. I will work. I will do my part. I will not simply sit idly by and be glad to be part of your kingdom. I'm going to do much, much more than that, Lord Jesus. Will you say that to your king right now? But sadly, there was a third 
type of person in Jesus' parable. Those citizens who said, we don't want him to be our king. We don't want to be his subjects. People who today say, I don't want Jesus to be my king. I'm not his his servant, and he's not my master. I'm the master of my own destiny. I'm in charge. It's about me and what I want. It's not Jesus. He's not my king. And in the parable, Jesus said, there's a terrible judgment and terrible punishment awaiting them. And if that's you, someone whom to this point in life has said, Jesus is not my king, I'm king of my own life. doesn't have to stay that way. You can choose today to let Jesus be the king of your heart, the king of your mind, the king of your will, the king of your life. When Jesus was being crucified, two thieves were crucified with him. One of those thieves looked at Jesus and said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus looked at him and said, today you will be with me in paradise. It's not too late. It doesn't matter if you're 80 years old, 50 years old, 35 years old, 15 years old. You're not too young or too old to say, Jesus, be my king. I want to be your servant. I want to live for you, love you, and serve you. It's not too late. You can, you can change right now by surrendering to the lordship, to the kingship of Jesus Christ in your life. It's not too late. Will you say to him right now, Jesus, be my king. Jesus, be my Lord. Jesus, be my master. I surrender to you. I commit myself to you. Will you do that right now? Therefore you are. Therefore you are in your home, at work, in your car, wherever you are, will you do that right now and submit your life to the lordship, to the kingship of Jesus Christ, whom the Bible says is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Will you invite him to be your king right now? Right now. Stop what you're doing. Pray, pray and submit to him. And then I want to know about it so I can help you. I want you to text the keyword Jesus to the number on your screen, 803-310-4455, and follow the prompts and let me know that you surrendered to Jesus as king of your life so we can send, send some information, some literature to you to help you in your new relationship with Jesus Christ. He's king of kings, Lord of lords. He's the eternal king. And it's my sincere hope and prayer that you allow him to be your king. There's not a better decision you will ever make than that one. God bless you, and I'll see you next Sunday.